This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including eBooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. The concern for purity was the cornerstone of the religious culture of ancient Judaism, shaping the worldview of Jewish people during the Second Temple period, as well as their daily practices and social relations. In his book, Purity and Identity in Ancient Judaism, Yair Furstenberg examines how different groups offered competing visions and methods for living a life of purity, which embodied a promise of personal and cosmic salvation, and at the same time determined the degree of sectarian separation. Join us as we speak with Yair Furstenberg about his recent book, Purity and Identity in Ancient Judaism. You're listening to New Books and Jewish Studies, a channel of the New Books Network, and I'm your host, Michael Morales. Yair Furstenberg is Associate Professor and Chair of the Department of Talmud at Hebrew University. He's also published Jewish Martyrdom and Antiquity from the Book of Maccabees to the Babylonian Talmud. Yair, welcome to New Books and Jewish Studies. Thank you very much. I'm so glad to be here. Would you tell us about yourself and how you got interested in studying purity in ancient Judaism? Yeah, thanks for the question. I'm, uh, I could say that I'm a scholar of uh, Jewish law. That's m- my main uh, field of expertise. Uh, from the beginning of my studies as a scholar of rabbinic literature, um, I was mostly interested in, in early Jewish law uh, at the stages that it was beginning to develop as a system. And um, I was always interested in the gap between biblical law and uh, rabbinic law. Those we, we have like hundreds of years between these uh, uh, two literary bodies um, and substantial developments took place. And I'm personally also a, observant Jew. That means that Jewish law is something that is a daily issue, and the questions of development of law and the transformation and what powers impact and influence the shaping of of, of daily practice of Jews uh, was something that always interests me on on an existential level, I must say. But in my in university uh, studies, I, I was, after studying... Uh, uh, rabbinic literature and and classics in my in my uh, early stages at uh, in my university studies I chose the issue of purity mainly because I it, it's it's considered the most complicated uh, legal issue in rabbinic literature I mean even if you only open Leviticus you see that it's it's a uh, uh, quite complicated questions of, of purity and impurity and bodily situations of this case or not. But when you arrive to rabbinic literature, 
it becomes uh, like immense body of laws, it's very, very detailed. And you ask yourself, to how, how did this uh, uh, issue develop in such a way? And did it reflect any real uh, existence or way of life? Or is it all like theoretical discussions, a very, very detailed discussion? And I was really concerned from this gap between biblical law and rabbinic law. But the problem is, um, and I must say that uh, this field is also very interesting because today, I mean, this is this was the biggest portion of Jewish law in antiquity. We can see that from just from the size of the of the books uh, discussing this this field. It's the largest portion of law in in both in rabbinic law and also in other in other sources that I'll mention soon. But uh, immediately after the Talmudic period, um, at, at about uh, uh, the fifth, sixth, seventh century, it stopped being a uh, uh, um, uh, uh, significant uh, issue at all. I mean, a whole uh, complete issues of being careful what you touch, what you eat, who you come in contact with, all these issues have, have ceased to be relevant to practical Jewish law only in the field of only in the, the the specific issue of menstrual impurity, so uh, sexual relationships between uh, a husband and a wife during during the the woman's period is still uh, relevant. So so you see a field that is is significantly changed. There was a, a, a some period that it became a very substantial issue, and then it 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 it, it faded away, and now it's. Well, it's it's very curious to ask what makes uh, that feel so. What made that feel so significant? So my main question was my main uh, 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 concern was what happened in the hundreds of years between the uh, Hebrew Bible and rabbinic literature at about the second third century that made such a such a difference. So so I started working from a very I would say. From my perspective now, from quite a narrow uh, perspective into the into the topic, just thinking internally from within this development of law. But then I realized, as I was uh, digging back and trying to understand the sources, that actually you cannot study this field as only as a legal issue. And you cannot only use legal sources and rabbinic sources. And you cannot skip from studying the laws of purity in Leviticus or in other portions of the of the Hebrew Bible, and then go to rabbinic sources, the mission of the Tosefta, the Talmuds in the second, third, fourth century, etc., and try to create the, the uh, continuous story without understanding that purity is in fact a much larger issue, which is all-encompassing as I'll, 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 I'll describe, I think, later on. But more, more importantly, that actually, it's not only legal, it's also, also ideological. Also, there are aspects of uh, moral issues of, of purity and impurity that are very, were very significant for, in ancient Judaism, and, and it, it, uh, social aspects, and that each of 
the literary sources that we have on Jewish, uh, um, Jewish society uh, or, or various forms of Judaism in antiquity had their own perspective on purity. So suddenly purity becomes from a specific legal issue into a discourse, into a whole field that you have many voices, whether it's from the sectarians of Qumran, the Essenes, or whether it's early Christians in the New Testament and other early Christian sources, each of them presenting their own perspective of what it means to be pure. Pure is something that we all want to be, but each of us understands that in a different way. And it becomes so intense in such a way of defining each of the groups. So each of us holds one corner of it. And in order to understand the rabbinic literature, you have to understand what it's responding to, what other voices it's responding to. So I found myself, I started as a scholar of rabbinic literature, and suddenly I found myself working on New Testament sources. I understood that I, that I have no other choice but to be an expert on the Synoptic Gospels, which have crucial, which are a crucial source for understanding the, the concept, concepts of, of purity. And I have to know much more about Qumran and sectarian Judaism and Second Temple Judaism. So what I, and, and, and so, so it became an excite, exciting like field that I, I expanded my own con conception of Judaism in general and my own conception of of what it means to be a scholar of Jewish law, what that law is a mirror into much larger social, ideological um, um, elements within ancient Judaism. Your book states that the concern for purity was the cornerstone of the religious culture of ancient Judaism. Would you explain or develop that idea for us? Yeah, yeah, I believe in that strongly. Uh, and again, it's something that I found out only as I was working uh, through this this uh, this topic and so just just to give a just to give a brief back background a, uh, purity is is an important topic in in he in the hebrew bible in leviticus and mainly in the priestly in the priestly code um but it's focused in its earlier manifestations it's focused on the issue of what are the requirements in order to encounter the holy realm, if you want to go into the temple, or if you want to, or if you're in the space or the 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 area of the uh, of the of the tabernacle, if you want to uh, eat uh, uh, sacrifice or holy foods, if you're a priest, so within the realm of God's presence, we can say it clearly uh, this way: you have to be in a situation of purity. You cannot come from your daily uh, uh, activities with all the 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 the, the lower uh, aspects of, of human condition and encounter encounter the presence of God, the perfect uh, presence of the of of of, of God, which represents the perfect life, for, for, uh, the vitality of living, and then you come, and then you, and and, and if you're Impure. That means that you encountered some aspects of death, if it's a if it's corpse impurity or or various uh, 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 bodily uh, fluids that are that are abnormal, right? So you cannot this this contact 
has to be regulated in a sense that you have to purify, you have to prepare yourself. So, so it signifies the, the, the space of the holy realm. It signifies the, the nature of the contact with the holy realm. Now, so there, it's mainly what we would call ritual purity, where we're concerned with ritual purity when it, uh, when coming in contact with the with the, with God's presence in, in in general. But it was added it, 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 another layer that was added to it already in Leviticus and in other biblical sources. In Ezekiel, is the is the element of what we would call moral purity. That means that God cannot. Uh, dwell in the land of 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 the uh, in the land of Israel uh, if the people are are sinning because the sin is like uh, like a, a disgusting substance that that contaminates the land and that is impossible for God to be there. So very so so uh, we would say uh, that light uh, sins. Daily things that that, that that people sin or or happen, they could there the, the temple itself, the 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 priestly practice can solve, but grave sins like um, uh, murder or idolatry, etc., are so uh, so um, uh, 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 such an abomination that God has to leave the land; He cannot dwell within that. So so. So already, it's a significant issue already in 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 the Hebrew Bible. But again, it's always with relation to God's presence, and it's and it's mainly uh, um, I would say it's mainly a a uh, ritual issue. But then, in, for some reason, during Second Temple period, already from the beginning, when when the exiles return, and we see that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, we see that purity becomes a defining condition of of the the, the 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 I would say the elect group or the way you define yourselves in contrast to others, and there was a heightened concern among uh, the return the, the the those returning from the exile, and we see it continuing on into Second Temple Judaism later of of clearly delineating the, the 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 difference between themselves and others now the problem is that though the, the distinctions are many times not not very clear many times even what we would think uh, ethnic distinctions don't really work because it's so complicated ethnic relationships so what is the way to distinguish yourself from others so then the language of purity becomes the category of self-definition. So the Judeans are pure and the dwellers of the land that, that what's called Am Ha'aretz are impure. That's the way to define yourself. And again, because the, I would say the, your, your religious identity is, becomes a thing in itself. And it's it's not it's not directly related to the temple, but you are defined through your purity. And then you suddenly see that being pure is is something that is not only when you come in contact with the temple, and being pure is a trait, and it's it's valuable in any in any way, and it's the way you map your social world. So 
Judeans are pure in contrast to the impure Gentiles or uh, within now as the, the more sectarian Second Temple Judaism becomes, and that's a, a question that is beyond our discussion, I think, why did the uh, sectarianism develop within the complicated cultural situation of Second Temple Judaism? But one thing we can say that each group defined itself through its own form of uniqueness and uh, purity. That means, again, it's not a theoretical thing. It's a practical thing. What do I, what, what is my daily practice that distinguishes me from others? And to what degree is this distinction between pure and impure essential or can we overcome it? That means that if we take extreme sectarians as the, Qum, the Qumran sectarians, their view is that by definition, it's very interesting, the, the main distinction in the world is not between the Jews and non-Gentiles, it's between the pure and impure. That means that also other Judeans who would maybe consider themselves to be from the same tradition and also to be the, the people of Israel, but actually, if they do not um, live according to the standards of, of our practice, they're, I, they're actually what we would call the sons of darkness. They're not the sons of light. And they're actually, by their ontological status, is identical to the Gentiles in some in some way. So suddenly the, the borderlines between groups are reestablished according to the language of purity and purity. So the other, so the other the examples on the uh, on the other hand would be the early Christians, which if we take if, the first thing that I, I always say the first thing that that helped the the followers followers of Jesus to expand their 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 group affiliation beyond the the limited borders of the Jew, Judean society is when they decided that the to to overcome the the concept of gentile impurity to decide that everybody can be pure and not only the Judeans, and therefore everybody is 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 worthy of the Holy Spirit, because the power of the Holy Spirit is 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 relevant also to uh, people who are not Judeans, and that is the famous case of uh, Peter's vision in Acts ten when he gets the vision that God Himself says, "I do not deem people as." impure or defiled that means that everybody is worthy so the first thing you have to do when you decide what your group is what your what your the way you vision eschatology the way you vision the messianic age the way you vision the the, the right way of life is to decide what is the definition of pure and who is included within that definition so you see that purity is the over overarching category that also determines your daily practice, who you're going to touch, who you're going to live with, right? Are you able to eat with someone or not eat with them? Is it pure and impure? Who your group will be? Who are the people that are keeping the same standards that, like you are? Are you an Essene, an extreme sectarian, or are you a Pharisee that you care about purity, but you do it in a more... Um, uh, 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 
um, uh, I would say, uh, in uh, in a more open-minded way, and you're willing to uh, to be more flexible about the 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 the, the your relationship with other groups, or and and then it also determines also space. When you walk in the streets of Jerusalem, it was up. It was it would have been clear if you're a Jew in the first century. Uh, CE walking in the streets of Jerusalem, it would be clear who are the people you can come in contact and who not, who, who you couldn't come in contact depending on the side of the what side of the sidewalk you would walk on, because it's that, that's we are, we have sources describing that because it was clear you can't touch anyone uh, automatically. It's not something that you do without thinking because you you don't want to be defiled. So space is organized according to this kind of distinction, and also um, your 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 expectations. What kind of world are we waiting for? When God will come and redeem the world? What does that mean? That God will transform the world and ex extract all of the impure substances within the world and change the nature of the world, change our, our the nature of ourselves. Our souls. There's a fantastic description in in the one of the sources in Qumran, uh, in the community rule that it says, and one day at the end of the day, at the end of the all periods, when God will come and and His Holy Spirit will dwell within our body members, within our bodies themselves, and take out all elements of impure of impurity and transform us humanity into a different kind of thing. So when we're thinking of what we're expecting, ultimately, we all want to be pure. And that's why it's not surprising when you're aware of the, the, the dominance of purity as organizing both society and organizing your ideology. It's not surprising when you come to open the, uh, the Mark, right, the beginning of Mark, and the first thing we learn that the, the story begins, or the story of Christianity begins with John the Baptist, who is calling for purification, a very democratic, open, everybody's welcome to, to, to this act of purification, which will ultimately bring the end of, of days. So you see, it's, it's so suddenly you understand everything is connected. That's why I argue that that's the most important uh, category um, in uh, all-embracing category within ancient Judaism, at least as long as we're talking about the Second Temple period. So what are some of the different approaches to purity among the varieties of Second Temple Judaism and their later offshoots? Sure, sure. So, um, so, I, so uh, I'll, I'll, it's easy to start from the most extreme positions, right? So I think my, my argument is that generally Palestinian Jews we must. I, we, I should mention that 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 uh, Jews living abroad, Jews living in the diaspora, uh, usually did not use the language of of purity as much as Palestinian Jews. So I am focusing on 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 on, on Jews living in Palestine during that period. And I my what the way I understand the sources is that basically the 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 notion that that. Uh, the distinction between pure and impure is the defining distinction between Judeans and others, right? So that's that, that general 
um, agreement. I, uh, until uh, early Christians uh, such as Peter come and and undermine this assumption. Okay, so taking this, take uh, uh, following this assumption, I would say that the most extreme of of sectarians within Second Temple Judaism, what they what they did is apply the same distinction between Judeans and non-Judeans to the distinction between themselves and all others. And what they viewed, uh, and those are, the, 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 uh, Josephus, when he describes the Essenes, says that if someone touches the, someone that is not from the sect, touches the an Essene, he is, it's as though he came in contact with Gentiles. So you see, for them, they, 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 it's it's like a binary a binary world. It's us us against the whole all the rest uh, the, the rest of the world, and that means that in in their view, the impure the impurity is an essential a component of your identity. In a sense, it's not something that you can choose to be more pure or less pure. It's once you accept upon yourself the stringent way of life within the confines of the community, right? You are, it's actually a, like a divine transformation of yourself, right? And you're, 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 you're essentially a different kind of human person. Uh, and, and, if you are, and if you're outside the sect, there's a very nice, Text. Um, I mean, it's uh, problematic ethically, right? But but the but the but the it's 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 uh it's like one of the best expressions of the sectarian view is to is saying that if you do not if you're not part of the sect, it does not matter how much you attempt to uh, cleanse yourself in waters and sprinkle purifications water upon yourself and to sacrifice as much as purification sacrifice that you can. It will not help you. You're by definition, you're essentially uh, impure. Because to be pure, that means to belong to the to the to the group of the elect, and that that's something that is requires social affiliation that comes together with God's kind of of intervention. So that's so that's an extreme position. There are the priests in Jerusalem. Let's say the the temple priests that view. Purity as the as centered in the temple itself, and and they were very careful. And that's the thing they cared about: that when people come into the to to the temple, that the distinction between the levels of purity will be very clear. So you have so so the, so the, you can imagine the 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 temple as a net as a, a system of 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 uh, circles of different levels of purity, and you have in the temple itself you have the priests who are the most pure, and then you have the Israelites who are, can only come to the to the space to, to the around the temple, and then you have impure uh, Israel Israelites that can that go into the, another external more external space, and the Gentiles again cannot. Uh, can stay in the holy mound and not, but not, and they would be very careful to maintain this kind of hierarchy, and and so it would be very, very clear. 
And what we have, so there's a very famous, uh, uh, we even uh, have archaeological evidence for this very famous um, uh, uh, text that, that they would hang and the entrance of the temple that no one who is not from, uh, uh, who is not a, a Judean, anyone who is not a Judean cannot past this point, so you have very clear dem demarcations of the areas, but also inside the temple, we also have evidence for the uh, the, the the distinction between the spaces becoming more more and more clear, and those are the, that's a priestly ideal that the distinction that the hierarchy is something that is is crucial for for uh, for 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 maintaining order. Maintaining the order, the spiritual order, maintaining social order, and that the temple has to represent this kind of ideal. Now, the rabbis testify to an alternative view, which comes to undermine this priestly approach. And according to the rabbis, who, according to my approach, and I'll, maybe I'll say something about my methodolo methodolo methodology in a moment, but according to my approach, the rabbis represent or uh, continue the uh, ideology of the Pharisees, of maybe the 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 the, the third most important group of of uh, within Second Temple Judaism, and the 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 at least in the in in the rabbinic uh, presentation of the uh, the this the Pharisee Pharisaic views, they they present uh, the time of gathering into the temple not as a time of uh, a clear hierarchy, but exactly the opposite. They, the, the, the idea uh, of, of the, they say that whenever you, all people coming into Jerusalem, by definition, become uh, all pure, even if they're not really pure, and we know that people cannot, but once you're part of this social connection, that you, you, you become this, this, uh, 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 you're coming to Jerusalem in order to, uh, to, to, to to worship in the temple, we'll not check if you're pure. Even if we know that you're not really pure, we'll allow you in. We'll even allow you beyond the limits that are regularly uh, allowed to non-priests. So it's like the the... It, 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 what the rabbis describe is the nightmare of the of the priest. What they're describing is people coming indiscriminately into the temple. We're, we're we aware of the fact that they probably have not purified as they should have, but the um, the the pilgrimage is more important than everything else. Everybody has to be together in the temple. So you so that's why times of festivals have become a moment of tension between. Uh, this more higher hi hierarchical position and this more this more universal uh, democratic position of the Pharisees, but the Pharisees, uh, not only in festivals, but they really uh, um, their ideology was to promote purity practice even within uh, the daily life, even among those who cannot create, isolate themselves for, for in order to be pure. Because purity requires high level of isolation. You cannot come in contact with anyone. You see yourself as clearly distinct from others, right? You have to daily uh, practices of impurity. So is there a, a, now 
if we see that as a religious ideal, is it possible for the, the simple Judean, right, to somehow grasp, somehow participate in this kind of in this kind of experience? So the Pharisees, while they themselves were very strict about purity, and that's the word Pharisee in Aramaic means parush, right? Separated. They separated themselves. So, so they did this, the, the, uh, establish their own, uh, their own status by viewing themselves as Pharisees, right? And the Pharisees' concern for purity is something that Jesus re re relates to a few times in the Gospels. But at the same time, when we when we analyze their exact policy, and that's something that you again, it's only it's it's everything is in the details. It's not enough to say they care about purity because everybody cares about purity. But when we analyze their legal uh, uh, policy, and that's something that's exactly the kinds of work I I con connecting the the uh, legal analysis of the details into the social situation. You suddenly realize that their whole ideology is trying to make a purity more accessible, more easy. You can experience purity even if you're not, right, if you're not a sectarian. For example, hand washing. Hand washing is something that famously Jesus attacks the Pharisees for, for promoting hand washing. So, and hand washing means that you can relatively easily Prepare yourself, purify yourself before you eat your daily foods, and feel that you have pure, that you're pure. Now there are various aspects to this, to this, to this, uh, to this innovation of the Pharisees, because this is not, not it, it's not a pure scripture. The ability, impurity is not something that the, the priest would do on a regular basis. So scholars have have debated a lot. What's the idea uh, behind this hand hand purity? My suggestion is that why do you purify your hands? You purify your hands before you eat, not specifically before you eat, because you want to make sure that the food that you're digesting is pure. So actually, what you're really concerned about is not the purification of the, not the purity of the food itself, because we're talking about daily food. We're not talking about sacrifices. We're not talking about priestly foods. We're talking about daily food. So why, why, when I come home and I eat my supper, why should I wash my hands? Again, if we're using, we're using the, 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 the language of purity because I'm concerned about the purity of myself, right? So suddenly we see here that the focus of purity practices is not the temple is not the separated elevation of this uh, of purity as, 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 a, as a distinct way of life, but actually it's a possibility of feeling on a most personal individual level that you yourself can experience purity of yourself, of your body. You're, you're guarding yourself as something that is keeping pure. And this reflects your some kind of, 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 of higher uh, religious uh, main, maintenance of, of 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 the self. So so here is another completely different focus, and that has other other implications. When the Pharisees, the, the most famous element of the Pharisees, is the fact that they would eat their daily foods in purity. So suddenly, uh, the, your 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 daily life is something that is 
is is is is uh, religiously significant. It, it give, you you can give it meaning, and that is very important because what we see here that there are groups during the Second Temple period already that have already created an alternative to the temple. So the Pharisees are not rejecting the temple, but actually what they're doing is they're, they're creating a way of life which can give people that are not connected to the temple meaning and religious significance. Well, what a fascinating discussion on purity. Yeah, Eric, thank you for your work on purity in ancient Judaism and for joining us on the New Books Network. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. Friends, thank you for listening to New Books and Jewish Studies, a channel of the New Books Network. Goodbye.